Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host. Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD, and today we have SG, Sean Gentry, from SNAS to SAS. So Sean Gentry is actually a former um, team member of mine, former manager that reported up to me, and when he came to me, he was already good. And what he said to me in the interview process said, but he wanted to become great. And I watched Sean Gentry go from rep to top rep to manager, to top manager, to taking on the entire sales training organization, to then going back to management and selling, to then going from SNAS, SNAS as a service, getting into Zillow, becoming an enterprise rep there, to an enterprise manager there, and now is with the diaper darling dandy of the SaaS industry outreach as a sales manager there. And what I love about Sean and why I wanted to bring him on is his journey is very interesting. There isn't a pattern in industry. There isn't a pattern in product. He's been successful across multiple industries with multiple products and has made the leap from rep to manager. And also, he can give some insight on what it's like to work for a psycho like me. So I'm so excited to have Sean here. His growth has made me incredibly proud. Sean Gentry, welcome to the show. Uh, God, with an intro like that, why do we need the next 45 minutes or 20 minutes? I could keep going. I got so much good stuff to say about you. Like I could go for the whole 45 minutes. It'd be fine. That's, that's really why I'm here is just to boost my ego. Uh, hey. but no, super excited to be a part of this and yeah, to just share any insight I can give. So I really appreciate it. Well, let's go, man. We're going to go right into it because this is a question I remember asking you way back when, and we had many conversations around this, right? Of like, why did you want to become a manager, say leader over just being a rep? individual contributor. Why was that so important to you? Yeah, and I think that's such a crucial 
question to ask any rep that says they want to be a manager, right? Because I, I think most people want to do it for, for, I don't know if it's the wrong reasons, but just reasons that don't lead them to success. Uh, but I, I obviously remember you asking me that multiple times and the multiple times I did go from rep to manager. And it really baked into the fact that I, I relish seeing others succeed. And especially with the coaching that I've learned and either passed on or stuff that I've read from a book or heard from a podcast or even learned from you and seeing just the, um, the ability for me to pass that on to them, to them to use it and come back to me and say, hey, Sean, I used this and this worked and I got this prospect to the next level or I closed this deal. Like that to me makes me so much more fulfilled than somebody sending me their credit card. Like I feel like I'd gotten to the point where I'd done that. I'd had the repetitions of booking deals of you know seeing that success and so now when somebody comes to me and thanks me or gets to the point where they're using what i put into practice with them and they see success with it that that's what really gets me fired up and and i love that but you you open it up with by saying like you know some people get in for the wrong reasons or they don't know if management is right for them what are some of the questions they should ask themselves right before going the management path how can someone know if management is right for them. Yeah, I think it comes down to, comes down to a simple simplicity of just being happy. Like I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, how do they define success and happiness within their own role now? You know, and that's, I think always a tough transition from rep to manager is that most sales reps define success or define happiness based off revenue closed. Right? And they're going to be able to look at the end of the week or look at the end of the month and see where they are on that leaderboard and say, hey, am I doing well? In management, that's a tough transition just on your emotional psyche because you don't have those checkbox wins or losses on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. And sometimes you may go a whole week without your team closing a deal. right? And because of that, you may think, hey, I'm not doing a good job. But are you positively impacting that rep, not only on a fulfillment level, but also making sure their metrics are improving? It's a different type of win. And so it even took me a little while to learn that going from rep to manager, that you're going to be fulfilled and find wins much differently than just closed revenue on a leaderboard. And we're going to dive into that. We're going to open up the closet for everybody here, right? So you were a top performing rep from me who I thought was going to do management for sure. And we're going to talk about how I knew that very early on. You became a manager and we're managing like the newer rep, but there was something missing there for a while. And you actually went back to closing for a bit, right? Changed industries, were closing again and then became a manager again. And I remember we were texting about it. I said, hold up, hold up. You, you did this before. Are you sure? What was the shift? How did you grow to then being able to find fulfillment differently than when you were a rep? Yeah, and I think so much of that was about impact as well and what I was able to impact because of it. So I obviously knew that I could close the revenue, be a top performer. Um, you know, I did that under you and, and I wanted to have that impact. And to be honest, at that point, when I was so early into my career, I did miss a lot of those wins. When I was, you know, uh, the head of sales training there and seeing seeing the impact there, I, I wanted to get back into that like taste of blood, that shark mentality that I don't yes. think ever goes away <laughs> with yes. some people. Um, and then, yeah, you and I were texting, and and when I moved to Seattle and I joined Zillow Group, um, they actually didn't have any management positions open, and I wanted to join Enterprise. I wanted to be a part of that team, and the leaders there said basically, hey, if you want to be a leader here, prove it. 
right? So I joined um, as a rep, became the top enterprise rep there within a couple months, and then got promoted within the first six to become the, the head of West Coast Sales. And it's because of the impact that I could have with the reps around me. So whether, because there's a very fine distinction between a manager and a leader, which there I think, we go. We'll, which we'll probably talk about anyways, but a manager is there that can tell you, they can open up a Salesforce report and tell you which metrics to look at or what to improve by sitting behind a keyboard, right? A leader doesn't have to be a manager to lead. And that's what I always felt like made me fulfilled was leading the people around me and having an impact on them, whether I was their manager or not. But now it's my two goals. And when I sit down with all of my reps in our first one-on-ones, I say, Hey, if I'm not making sure that your metrics are improving month over month and that you feel fulfilled every day when you walk out of the doors, I'm not doing my job. So I think all going back to the impact that I'm having um, that's the reason that I, I find myself in this position and I want to scale because I believe that I can impact more people as I scale up within the org. Now, something that you did when you were working for me, and I can almost guarantee you also did at Zillow Group, is you started leading long before you were a manager. I still remember this. So, so Sean, when he joined the, the team, he joined in a group of like seven or eight people. And within the first week, was coordinating role plays and coordinating call reviews and like helping his group come through. Like where, was that a conscious decision or is that just part of who you are? Cause I'd be willing to bet if I was a fly on the wall at Zillow group too, 99.9% .9 chance you were also helping those around you long before you were a manager. So like, where does that come from for you? Yeah. I, I wish I could say that I went in with such an agenda at Snack Nation to make that happen, but I honestly didn't. Like, um, I grew up, as you know, like a huge sports fan, and I've always been a huge team sport fan. Like, basketball is one of my favorite sports to play and watch, and I have this whole the team wins mentality, right? And and I think going in subconsciously, I want those around me to do well, but I also feel like I had a lot of knowledge at that time to give to some of these greener reps. Um, and things that I've passed on. Now, when I went to Zillow, I was a completely different beast in the sense that I had soaked up your knowledge for three and a half you know, years and I had a lot to impart there. But yeah, it's Snack Nation. I, I started with a lot of reps that were pretty green, that didn't have a ton of sales experience. So I knew if I got them in a room and was able to role play with them, or I remember we would put, we would make cold calls and do it on speakerphone. So everyone yes. could hear basically the objections that we were hearing going through. Because I believe that if we could level up everyone faster, we would all get to that next level so much easier and obviously help the company make that bigger impact. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know that I came in with an agenda, but it seems to happen where I go. So as, you know, say someone's listening right now, they're a rep and they're like, yeah, I want to be a manager. I've asked myself the questions. I believe I'd be very fulfilled. What advice would you give for someone to earn that manager spot because management can also be tricky sometimes, right? Is it's hard to get a manager job without management experience, but how do you get management experience if you can't get the manager job? So what would be your advice to someone who wants to become a manager? How can they start preparing for that role? What can they do to stand out? Like how do they get tagged as like potential management potential? I'm going to say potential one more time just for shits and giggles. Cause I can't. Yeah, it's, it comes down to two things, I think. Uh, one is obviously what we talked about, right? That there's a difference between a manager and a leader. Um, something that you told me, and it will always stick with me, and I'm sure probably some of your listeners have heard you say this before, is that when it comes to growth, 
growth is never given based off seniority. It's earned because of what you're doing outside of your role, right? So even when I'm now looking at my reps and, and my teams and I'm pinpointing future leaders, like I'm sure you've done and do, you look at those members who are executing their role at a high level. They're doing all the small things, they're doing the big things, and then they're also impacting and making those better around them, right? Those are the true leaders. That's the difference between the leaders and the managers. They're doing what they're doing at a high level. It doesn't have to be the person that's hitting 150, 200% of quota, but they're doing everything that needs to be done while still donating some of their time to help and level up those around them. Because those are the people that truly are unselfish, right? Like Mike Weinberg talks about this in his books and he says, sales reps, the best sales reps are 100% selfish. Yes, yes. That is their best asset is their time, right? And, and the best sales managers are 100% unselfish. And I think that's a tough transition from reps to management anyways, learning to, to divvy your time up. But when you look at the people on their team that say, hey, you're selling at a high level, but you're also donating your time to somebody else to get better, those are the people that can start to kind of rise to the top as future leadership. But you also want to be that person that managers can look at you and say, yes, this person's a no-brainer by the time a management spot opens. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think made you such a, a rare bird is you were able to be a top performing rep and still help those around right? Very often the one that's number one, like, yeah, that's that lone wolf, they're doing their thing. But you are often able to be number one and still impact those around you. And you mentioned something there that's important. It's a good little segue to one of the next questions is time management, right? So now you are a manager, right? How many reps do you have right now? Uh, currently I have six. Six, okay. So how do you manage your time now as a manager? Because I think a lot of managers get this wrong. They don't spend their time well. So how do you manage your time now as a manager with six reps at a fast-growing startup? Yeah, and I'll caveat that by saying this is the lowest number of reps I think I've ever had, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've gone from 10, I've even had 12 at a time, which is just madness. Um, six is amazing because I get to spend almost an entire day with one person through my week. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you can't talk about time management and time blocking. And I think you even had a LinkedIn post about this the other day, like sticking to your calendar. You can't talk about that enough. And I think so many people talk about it and don't often do it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just reading this awesome book, which I'll plug this. It's called the freedom formula by David Finkel. And he was saying that every manager, every leader, every rep, should go through what they do on a daily or weekly basis and categorize them into an A, a B, or a C in terms of adding value, right? He thinks that now in this type of work environment, there's a difference between what's called the action economy and the value economy. So many people think that the more actions they do, the more work they do, it'll lead them to a higher level, higher job, et cetera. But he's like, if you know what your A value points are versus your B or C, you're going to spend more time doing those things. So when I look at my calendar now, and I, I had it up a, up a minute ago, I like to have all my one-on-ones in the beginning of the week. I've always had it this way that I can get through them Monday and Tuesday. So if I've got action items, it can, it can execute through the week. Um, I usually now implemented small check-ins with them later in the week to make sure they've completed those action items and also kind of like a morale check-in. Um, aside from that, I've always have blocks to go through my call scoring which is basically done through Gong now or any, or any um, call transcription software you have to make sure I know what they're doing on their discovery calls, their demo calls, follow along on that. 
Um, additionally, I've got all of the meetings that are set in there, but I, I like to map everything out on Friday afternoon. I know some people do it on Sundays, um, but it has to be done for me. Like, for, and I even have it literally on my calendar, Friday afternoon set calendar so that I'll yes. go through and block everything for the next week. And if I've got open space, I know I, I won't do anything you know, practical or functional during that time. So I try to block literally every 30 minutes, even if that's to take a walk or eat yeah. lunch or meditate. It's like, I want to make sure that everything is on there. So I actually stick to it. I, I love that, right? The calendar management, the calendar blocking, but also the calendar adherence, right? Of like following it. Now I will do a quick tip for everyone listening. I would strongly recommend planning your week on Friday afternoon and reviewing it on Sunday. If you save planning your week for Sunday, you can never really get to unplug. You never really get to shut off because you know that's coming on Sunday and now you're spending your Sunday nights getting ready for Monday. I take 30 minutes on a Sunday evening just to review my plan, right? So I'd highly recommend if you're listening, end your week planning the next week. Don't save it for Sunday night because then also too, it can get pushed off and you just don't do it. And then you walk into a Monday and you're not ready to go. Now, something you mentioned there, you know, we have spent so much time on this together, but a lot of people still haven't. Call scoring. Yeah. Right? Call scoring, right? Everyone's listening to calls and weirdly, everyone seems to sound good, but results aren't always there. How do you score a call? What are the things that you're looking for? And is this like an app, like do all your reps follow the same scorecard? Or is it kind of like when you say scoring a card, it's kind of like, you know, am, ambiguous. Like, oh yeah, that was good. This was bad. Fix this. Like walk us through your call scoring methodology. Yeah, well, this has been, well, obviously you implemented this at Snack Nation. I remember we used to have like this call scoring, we'd laminate it and go through and people would fill them out as they're doing it, like live scoring. That was before like gong or chorus or anything. Yeah, it was. Oh, geez, baby, we've been doing this. That's right. She literally Sharpie on laminated paper. Oh, yes. yeah. Um, and so Zillow, I implemented this because I took, I took what you built and replicated it. And now we're just doing this at, at Outreach as well. So we've got everything loaded into Gong now where we can go through and have like one, two, three, four, five, like actual scores of what we're doing and what we want our reps to hit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if... You ask any rep after they get off a call, and how did that go? They're going to say one of two answers. They're going to say it went bad or it went good, right? right. And that's about, that's about the most information you're going to get. Um, I think, obviously, for a lot of the leaders that are listening out there, or managers, you know, you're going to go and listen to that call, and then you're gonna also going to say the same thing. Like, yeah, it went pretty poorly, or yeah, it went pretty well. It went pretty good. <laughs> but if you don't actually know what things you're trying to hit or what is going to make it good or great, it's tough to coach them to that next intricate level. And so that's when you're telling people like, hey, yeah, that was a good call, but here's how you can make it great. You missed these two questions, or I really want to see you focus on this gap, or I want to make sure that you're reiterating what problem you can solve at the end here because you scored a three here, but you can score a five by doing it this way. And so the more like tactical you can get and more specific, you're going to get better results. Now, without giving away your secret sauce there at Outreach, could you share a few things that you look for in a good call? But like, what are some of the things that are on like a good demo call scorecard that people should implement? Yeah, well, one thing that's like, one thing overall that I try to get all of my reps to know going into any call, and this can be for a cold call, you know, uh, what we call an initial meeting, a demo proposal call, is what is your goal? What's your goal going into it? And that's a simple enough question for me to ask is, hey, you've got this demo on Thursday. 
what do you want that last five minutes to sound like? What is that goal that you want to walk away with? What is that actionable item? Number one. So when we go to the scorecard, it's, hey, I knew what your goal was. You told me what your goal was. Did you achieve that goal? Ooh, that's good. So you're preempting the score. So it's like they're telling you the goal before. Oh, I like that a lot. That's so strong. on Mondays and Tuesdays, we're going through and saying, all right, these are – and the one thing that I love that Outreach does, and I got to steal this from Mark Cosigo if he listens to this, is when we go through and do our forecast, our pipeline reviews, we go with the largest deal down. So what's the largest deal you have in your pipeline? And that may be forecasted for six months out. But one of the mistakes that I used to make as a manager is saying, hey, this is six months out. Let's worry about that at a later date. No, that's the first thing we talk about in every single meeting. We're going top down. So it's, if it's a 50K deal, 40K deal, 30K deal, and it may get, it may like, you know, drive these reps crazy, but that's the first deal we talk about every forecast meeting. So as I go through, I say, all right, you've got a call on Thursday. What is your goal of this call? We write it down together. So then when we listen to that call, we can say, did you execute your goal? First thing. The second thing without giving away too much secret sauce is, did you realize and discover what their problem is that we're solving for, right? So with it, you know, we know at Outreach that they're probably going to be uh, looking at a couple different competitors. We're not stupid. But are we solving a problem that is significant and important to us that we can do better than any of our competitors out there? And did you, were you able to discover that and illustrate that to the prospect before next step? So those are usually the two, like, biggest highlights for me and overarching themes. If you didn't execute your goal and you don't know what problem you're solving, it's probably not the best call. No, I love it. Those are things that we have on our scorecards as well, right? Did you get them to agree they have a problem? Did you get them to say they have a problem, right? And the beauty of call scorecards too, for anyone out there listening, the call scorecard is all about what your rep is doing. It's not about what the prospect is doing. You don't even have to record both sides of the call. That's something that always gets people tripped up. It's like, well, can I record? Can I not record? Blah, blah, blah. You can always record your side of the conversation. And you could still score calls. So I would recommend everybody building a call scorecard out because it's just foundational. right? And as a leader, you're looking for the same things every call anyway. right? Yeah. Sit down, take notes. What are the things I look for? There's your call scorecard. right? But now here's the next thing, though. Right? And, you know, you read this book um, together with me, right? Cracking the Sales Management Code. And one of the things it talks about is like, you know, what gets measured gets improved isn't true. Measurement allows for awareness, but coaching is what leads to improvement. So how do you coach your reps, right? Say I'm a rep for Deshaun Gentry and I'm just sucking it up at discovery on my scorecard, right? Like I'm just bombing. How do you coach me to actually get better? Because you can't just tell me like, hey, KD, be better. Right. I go, oh, okay. All right, SG, I can do that. How do you actually coach your reps to improve in these areas? Yeah, and, and two fundamental things that I feel like I've taken from my career so far. One is by David Brock, who I had to bring up at least once. On, on Deep yogurt. Podcast. Let's go, baby. Yeah, Deep if you, yogurt. If you haven't read um, The Sales Manager Survival Guide by David Brock, buy it now immediately after listening mm -hmm. to this. Um, but he, he does a great job of talking about the difference between direct and indirective coaching, right? And and where you always try to lead with indirective coaching by asking questions so the rep can get to the answer themselves, because that's going to ingrain in their memory for much easier and much, I guess, easier to implement for them moving forward. There's going to be a part within any manager's career where they have to be direct, where I literally will have to tell you, hey, Katie, you have to ask this question at this point. 
and just be as direct as possible. But I want to lead with the first first to try to get you to discover that yourself. Um, so that's usually like how I'll go about it, indirective before directive. The second thing is, is honestly from Freedom Formula, again, where he talks about, uh, David Finkel talks about the load management on the psyche and how many things you can remember at once. And he has a great analogy for this. He says the human brain can only remember seven things at once. And it's like trying to carry groceries from your car to your house. The minute you try to grab one more bag, something's going to fall out of your hands. And if you reach down to pick that up, something else is going to fall out. And so through these coaching sessions, I try to leave them with two or three tactical takeaways max. I know sometimes, and I used to do this early in my career, I would hear a call or do a role play and we would have a full list and essay of notes, right? Like here are four things you can do in the discovery. Here are eight things you can do in the demo. And here's two things you can do it in the close. Go do them. You're going to do one or maybe two of those things. So it's picking the most important you know, taking those as tactical takeaways. And then that's why I like to have my check-ins by the end of the week. Hey, did you, how did this call go? Right. Did you execute your goal? Were you able to do these two or three takeaways on the call? Did that work? Yes or no. Why not? And then let's move on to the next things. If so. So what would be your advice to a manager to how to prioritize that feedback? How do you determine like, okay, this is worth the two to three. Right. Because so often, right, managers, they do, they listen to the call, they listen to whatever. And it's like, all right, I want to share all the things that I know, all the things that you could have done better. How should a manager prioritize that feedback? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I think, well, I mean, I, I take it as what I would do. And I would look at what is the biggest needle mover, right? What is the thing that is going to move the needle in that deal or prospects vision best? So if there's issues with, the demo or closing or discovery. Like I want to focus on what are the one or two things that you can take away that is going to progress this deal and help you get better faster. Now, normally that centers around the discovery, right? It's for me, it's like, if you don't have, if you don't have a strong discovery, it's pretty rare. You're going to have a strong demo or strong close. Like you can't really have the second or the third without the first. So if I've got big takeaways, that's where I'm going to hit home is like set yourself up for success. Do a strong discovery call because after, plus if you do a strong discovery call, you'll have maybe 24, 48, maybe even a couple more days to prep for the demo. And so I want to make sure that they're going through and getting these tactical takeaways early so that we can implement for the next call. I think that's so important, but it's also a good setup then is accountability, right? So one, I'm going to set you up here, right? What's the difference between accountability and micromanagement? Because yeah, I think well, people get this twisted. Yeah. So you, one thing that you've always told me that I tell my reps they, ad nauseum is I say, you can't micromanage somebody that overperforms and overcommunicates, right? Truth. You can't. Truth. Um, they, you know, reps will always tell you, I don't want to be micromanaged. Great. Then just overcommunicate and overperform and you'll never be the same. Um, for accountability though, I, I know it's something that it's, that they're going to get better with, right? I'm not hounding them on a specific metric, but it's something that I believe that we've also agreed to. And I think that's something that's key is that when we have these one-on-ones like, or, or the coaching sessions, we're agreeing on the sense that we need improvement here and we're going to work on it together and we're going to do it by X date. Like I always view micromanagement as me sitting behind a Salesforce dash and messaging people eight times a day about a metric or a report that they haven't done. Like, I don't want to be that person. I know my reps don't want to be receiving those slacks from me. 
So whenever we lean into these one-on-ones, I want them through indirective coaching to tell me what they feel like they can improve. We agree on the right tactic to improve that. And then we say, hey, by Wednesday, we're going to either go through this call, we're going to review it, or you're going to execute on this item. Is that fair to do? Right? And we get that agreement. So that on Wednesday, it's me following up saying, hey, did we do X, Y, or Z? Right? Did we do this in the call? Did we execute this task? All right, we did. Yes, awesome. What's the next one to do if we didn't know why? Um, but that to me is the difference between accountability and just micromanagement. And I hope you all picked up on what he was saying there too, is he's getting his reps to tell him what they're going to do. It's very different if you're just telling them what to do and they agree versus them saying, here's what I'm going to do and you agree. I think that's a big shift too in terms of accountability and micromanagement. And what I teach um, my managers, I may have taught you this, this also may have just been my own evolution through this, is the can you, will you. Okay, so you said you're going to do this. Cool. Can you do that by X? Yes. Will you do that by X? Right? That can you, will you, in that double confirmation, just like setting a meeting, just like a demo, just like next steps, that can you, will you, and the little bonus tip there, for me. Can you do that for me? Will you do that for me? Right? When it's attached to you as the person, it's harder to let that just go. Versus like, ah, like I'm not going to do it. It's like, no, I told Gentry I'd do that for him. Damn it. Right? Yeah. Accountability versus micromanagement. We get them to say it's a total, total like shift there. So now what do you do then if a rep is struggling? Right? Like, okay, like I haven't hit my number in a quarter. We're working on the call scorecards. I'm just not seeming to, to get it. What do you do with a struggling rep? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that I'll always for, remember, like through early of you training me as a manager and a snack nation, there's always a reason why, right? Of course, and it's, it's usually something that you can pinpoint that not a lot of managers will take the time to work backwards to find out, right? So they'll say, okay, this rep is struggling, but it's pretty rare that it, and I've managed managers and I'll ask them, well, why are they struggling? Uh, well, they're just having bad calls. And it's rare that they know specifically what they're missing or why they're struggling. And usually you can pinpoint it to some sort of metric or something that they're doing or not doing within the process, right? And so that's always the first thing for me is I'm a metrics geek. Like I will dive in and work backwards and say, okay, where is this person going wrong, right? Are they target, targeting the right prospects? Are they having the right activity? Are they saying the right things on their phone? Is the process dialed in and their cadence of how often they're following up? Because if you dive in that like granular you will inevitably find something that they're doing wrong. And usually sometimes it's not that difficult of a fix, right? To say like, okay, their messaging is right, but they're only contacting them twice when it should be five or six times. Or they're reaching out to the wrong persona, or maybe they're reaching out to the wrong industry and it's something you can tweak. Now that's on the process side. If it's something that they're doing on the phone, that's where the call scoring has to be there. So you can say, okay, you're missing these three questions on every single call. Right? I just need you, I need you to put post-its up or billboards now in your home office of these three questions and literally say them every single time ad nauseum. And it can you do that for me? Will you do that for me? We're gonna review it tomorrow. And did you do these three things? Right. But a lot of managers, even ones that I've worked with, don't know why their rep is struggling. And that's where the coaching can be so far off or people just beating their heads against walls that can't figure it out. I'm going to see if you remember this. I don't want you to be a micromanager. I want you to be micro what? Do you remember? I don't. No. Mi stop. Micro aware. 
I micro don't want aware. you to micromanage. I want you to be micro aware. It's knowing the small things yeah. that add up to the, the big results, right? And so let's make a transition here, right? So, you know, one of the things that I also hope people are recognizing is just your growth as, as an individual, but you have done it across industries. Like, I think before you came to me, you were in like the restaurant industry. I think before that, it was like T-Mobile, right? Yep. Then you do Zillow. Now you're outreach. Like, what are some things that are consistent across industries that allow you to succeed? Because there's so many people that are like, oh, nope. You, you haven't sold SaaS, you can't sell SaaS. In fact, there's a pretty funny backstory with you around, oh, you can't sell SaaS, right. so you can't sell SaaS, right? So what are the things that you think are consistent across being successful across industries? That's something that I think is a rarity nowadays. It's like people sell into the financial industry. That's it. And even companies are asking for that. Like, oh, we want four to five years of financial services SaaS experience. Right. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, like what? So how are things that you think anyone, if they're switching industries, switching companies, things that they can hold on to or ingrain that will lead to more success, whether it's a rep or a manager? Yeah, I, I think innately one thing that I, I've gotten from you, and I know I keep tuning your horn, but it's your podcast, so I'll keep doing <laughs> it, um, is when I go into a company and no matter what the company is, I tell them point blank in the interview process that I'm going to outwork and outlearn everyone around me, right? Like the simple as that, like, I don't care what the industry is. I could be selling garden hoses. Like I'm going to outwork and outlearn everyone around me. Um, I think with that being said, especially when it comes to industry sales is, is the same, right? So I believe selling snack boxes at snack nation, selling, you know, um, uh, selling lead generation and advertising Zillow group to brokers and real estate professionals, then now selling outreach. It's, there's no huge differentiators between the sales process or selling well. Like, are you discovering a problem? Are you solving that problem? And does, you know, are you taking the customer on a journey just to get to the other side? Are you gap selling? Right. Um, so it doesn't matter what you're selling, right. Is the first thing. So whether you're transitioning, um, you know, uh, different industries, you're just selling to a different person. Like we were selling to HR, you know, and we were selling to facilities directors with SAC, with um, SNAS. And then I went to brokerages and then now I'm selling to, you know, VPs of sales and CROs. So I think with the messaging and the language, that's why some people will say, oh, okay, you've got five years of FinTech. We need you to stay within FinTech because you know how to talk to these people and you know the vernacular and the language, which is crucial. But on the same token, anyone can learn that through experience. Yes. So, so how did you? I'm going to jump in there real quick. So how did you learn all these different customers quickly? Right? How did you prioritize that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you have to engulf yourself with the customers first and foremost. So like when I was working, you know, let's say when I made my first big jump, right. And I moved to, to Zillow group working in real estate. It's like, I had to spend a lot of time on the phone with customers and also current customers. Like I wanted to learn why people were buying. So like one of the first things I did is I said, Hey, I, you've got me shadowing our account executives. Can I spend the extra time, whether it's getting in early on lunch or on my breaks, shadowing our account reps? Like I want to shadow the people that are actually using Zillow Group, that have purchased Zillow Group, because I want to find out why they like it, why they bought it, what they needed to do, maybe why they don't like it so much. 
And it's the same thing with outreach now. It's like, I want to find out why people need our product and what solution it solves for them. And the more customer calls you're on, the more current customer calls you're on, you're going to learn. And it's just like picking anything. It's like picking up a new language, right? The more you're engulfed in that, it becomes second nature, um, but you have to put in the work to do that. I love it. I absolutely love it. Now let's talk about the reps um, one more time here. What are some things you like to do to motivate your reps? Right, motivate, inspire, like get them fired up. Like, what are things that you like to do there? Yeah, um, I always remember when we would do the introductions with new hires, and we would always do this list. I'm sure you remember this, and I'm bringing this up for the people that uh, don't know that much about you. And you would do this list of what you're great at and things that you're <laughs> not good at. And you would always have two things on your list that you weren't great at. Number mm-hmm. one, and I'm sure you probably remember this. Number one was email. Do you remember what the number two thing was? Fun. Fun, right? Yep. You weren't fun. And so whenever we onboarded people together, I knew I had to be the fun one, right? Because <laughs> you just weren't. Um, which is, I don't know is necessarily true. I think you're really fun. But mm-hmm. I think for my team now, like I, I'm a huge sports guy. I'm very competitive. I think a lot of salespeople are either, you know, naturally competitive with either with themselves or with other people. So I love to do like competitions. I love to drive people towards things they want. Um, Two weeks ago, we wanted people to do more sequencing and get people out there in terms of AE prospecting. Everyone wanted Friday off. So I told them, hey, great, hit this number, you get Friday off, right? Easy way to motivate people. Um, Additionally, though, I think the core component that a lot of leaders, leaders miss is the why behind things. So we can push people to a lot of different, whether it's metrics or goals, but I always try to go over and aboard, over and above of telling them why we're pushing towards it. Because if you just tell me to do something, sure, you can put a carrot out there and I might be motivated towards it, but I want to know the why. Why are you being told, Kevin, and you're telling me to do something, why are you being told to do that? from CEO or from anybody else. And so that I can know why, because I believe like the more transparency you build, the more trust you're going to build, it gets people to lean in and that's where the activity or the motion is going to come from. So I guess that's the two things like the competitions, but also like the why behind it. I love it. And just so people are clear, right? When I said I wasn't fun, what it really <laughs> meant is like, no, like I said, I still, by the way, I still do the same exercise. However, now email isn't my number one bad thing. Spelling is my number one bad thing. Email is like down to like two or three now. Um, but no, it was around like, I believe in competitions and I believe in those things. It's just not where my brain goes, right? Yeah. So I need people to bring those ideas to me. I still say that to my managers today. It's like, yo, like, give me something. What do y'all want to do? Oh, you want to have a left-footed contest? Cool. Have a left-footed contest. I don't know what the hell that is, but that's going to get people excited. It's asking people for these ideas. And I love to start that with new reps. So they could, from the very beginning, like, what would make this fun? Because sales is hard, right? Especially the prospecting side, the closing side, right? Like, it's hard. And so those ideas around fun, I think, are so, so, so important. So now, before we wrap on a couple of, like, our wrap-up questions, I do want to throw this one out here because people ask sometimes, right? Right. What are the pros and cons of working for KD? This is the first former employee team member rep that I've had on a podcast that I get to interview. So you get to be honest with the people and say, what are the pros, but also what are the cons? Let's open up the vault here real quick of working for Kevin Dorsey. Yeah. Um, 
It's funny. I had somebody ask me this at outreach too. Somebody that I think follows you on LinkedIn and they ping me and say, Oh my God, you used to work for KD. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm really well. And they're like, Oh my God, what was like working for him? Uh, so the pros is that you never stopped even today pushing me to be better. Right. So like you only managed me for what, maybe two and a half years. And that was four years ago, maybe three, four years ago. Like, and we still talk regularly and you still push me to be better. Right. Because you always saw things in me that maybe I didn't see in myself. And that's what a great leader does, right? You knew I could be a better salesperson. You knew I could be a better leader, better trainer, whatever it was. So that I think is the overall like arching pro. Um, the con of that is kind of a double-edged sword because I would come into a one-on-one thinking that I had everything dialed. I was on my shit. Everything was amazing. And I came in like guns a blazing, like, yeah, check out my pipeline. Everything's good. And you'd be like, yeah, I actually saw these three things that you need to improve. And so the con is kind of like the pro, um, but I would always felt like I was doing a great job and you always push me to do more, which like, obviously is sometimes in the time you're just like, oh man, this is so tough, but the stuff that you can't thank people enough for in the long run. Right. So, um, I know that's kind of like an overarching pro and con. Um, the other con is that we were never able to get lunch together because you always ate like a salad at your desk at like two thirty and ate like three bites of it and just left the rest there. Pretty consistent still to this day. You know, lunch has never been a thing that I can always pull off. But what's fun, and I, and I'm gonna say this right now, is like watching your growth and just watching how much you've still grown and improved. Like I'm just I'm just over here on cloud nine right now. I'm just so proud of you. I'm just so proud of what you've done and what you've accomplished. And I think even, you know, to this day, if you came and worked for me again, you would even see my growth and change. I believe because I, I do look back at some of my earlier leadership days and go, I pushed too hard or I didn't recognize enough. I didn't let people feel like they were good enough. And it came from a place of wanting people to be better. But also if you never feel you're good enough, you start to lose that. I don't want people looking back going, actually, no, that was good. I want them in the moment also like, hey, I know this guy cares about me. He wants the best for me, right? And we, we grow and we learn and we go through that. That's what I've valued about our relationship so much. So, so here we are, right? We're almost 50 minutes into this. Been just, you've been dropping bombs on people. I hope they're taking notes because I should, even I'm taking notes. There's some things in here I'm like, ooh, I like that. I'm going to go run with that. Say so they forget everything. They forget it all, right? We've been talking about like management and how to become a manager, how to manage people well, how to coach. If they forget everything we've been talking about, except for three things, what would those three takeaways be that would make them a better manager or give them a better chance yeah. to be able? So number one is, and I can't stress this enough, is calendar adherence, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think in spending time on the things that bring the most value, right? So if you go through and you mark up what your A value activities are, what your B value activities and C activities, and you focus the majority of your time on those A's and B's, that will make you more successful, whether you're a manager, leader, rep, I don't care. Um, I think the second thing is, especially for people that want to be a manager, it's all about doing what you're doing at a high level, executing the small and big things while helping those around you get better right? Helping those around to get better, but still take care of what you need to take care of first, I think is the big caveat there. Um, And I think the third thing that I would look for, I'm trying to think about all the stuff that we talked about now. Yeah. Is that 
don't be fearful or, or worry about going industry to industry because selling is the same. If you know how to sell well and at a high level by using a similar process of gap selling, and I'll you know plug Keen in here, if you research how to gap sell and do it well, it doesn't matter if you're selling SaaS, fintech, garden hoses, you know anything like that. You're going to do it well and do it to a high level. No, I love that. Now, also too, go back in the day, we were talking about gaps long before. Oh, okay. We had we had gaps on the wall. I still have old trainings from way back when talking about falling into the gap and all that. It's just so funny how that became now a methodology I know. that people are are following, which I, I love it. Like I really do. It actually cracks me up. So all right, my man. Well, we've made it this far. That's my second favorite question. And this is my first favorite question because the name of this podcast is Live Better, Sell Better. Right? Like taking care of the person in salesperson. I have this weird belief that if we were living better, if we took better care of ourselves, if we were happier, if we were more fulfilled, that that translates over into our sales life. What would be your live better advice for people, whether that's leaders, reps, in terms of how to take better care of themselves so that they're living at the level they want? You know, it's, it's interesting that now during this time, I think this question is so much more relevant uh, I mean, it's always been relevant, but right now, even more so because we're all transitioning to this. It's not even just working from home. It's working where you live, right? And the big thing for me is that when we transition to a, a you know, working where you live environment is that my life, I've got a two and a half year old. I've got one on the way is that it would bleed, that my work would bleed into the rest of the days and nights. It would bleed into uh, the weekends. And so I had to be so diligent and get to a point where I had to stick by my calendar and say, you know what, at 5 p.m. for this day, laptop is down, cell phone's in another room, I am done, right? And that point, I could spend as much present time with my family, be with my wife, my daughter, um, and spend that time and be present in that moment. Because so much, you know, I was in this like work activity mode where I'd be like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna get a couple more emails in, or I'm gonna open up my calendar, or I'm gonna you know, work on the weekends. And I think just being diligent about that, knowing when to shut off was just as important as when to turn it on for me. Mm-hmm. So my biggest advice even now to my reps is I say, hey, if you're knocking out your A and Bs, your biggest value activities during the day, at 4 p.m., if you're done, you're done. done. Like you're not on Slack. You're not on email. Like you are being present with your friends, your family. Like you're going outside, you're meditating, working out, whatever it may be. But you need that time for yourself more than ever just now. No, it's funny. We were talking about calendaring earlier in this talk. On my calendar, at 5.30, a reminder comes up. It says, shut it down. Yeah. Shut it down, right? And just to remind myself, because like, you, you know, man, you get in the zone, you get into the whatever, and you're just like, crane, you don't even realize, like, oh, totally. shit, it's 6.30. Yeah. Like, why have I not moved in five hours? So my man, holy cow, this was good such good information super tactical where can people get more of you like where where are you dropping more knowledge where can they find you like tell them how to find sean gentry yeah yeah so definitely follow me on linkedin um check out my linkedin it's sean gentry um you can go to outreach or find me there as well uh yeah that's the the best way or if you want to shoot i'm going to give people my direct email too Uh, i don't know if people do this or not but if I love this, like if you have questions, right? If you want to know, or you're hitting a wall against for sales management, even as a rep, anything like that, like I love helping people. Hit me up at sean.gentry at outreach.io. I'm more than happy to help you guys out 
with the time that I have with any questions that come up. Dude, that's the first personal contact info drop on the podcast, y'all. I hope you wrote that down. I also hope you're ready, Sean, for all that type of outreach because people are going to want to know more about what's in that head. So my man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your knowledge and insight. Thank you for being you. I'll say it again to end on this. I'm so proud of you and what you've achieved and can't wait to see how far you go, my man. So you know I love you like a brother. Thanks for being on. Thank you.